The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. You've made it to the middle of the week. You're watching Scorebox, and these are your headlines. Peloton switching gears. Shares surge as the... uh, the cycle maker uh, slashes targets, uh, cutting thousands of jobs and installs a new CEO in the saddle. Toyota quarterly profit falls 20% as the world's largest automaker cuts its production targets amid the global semiconductor shortage. European leaders agree a simple goal to avoid war in Europe as Russia and NATO continue to mobilize. Our common goal is to prevent a war in Europe. Peace and stability of the European continent are our treasure, and we have to do everything in order to preserve them. Italian lender banker BPM swings to a fourth quarter profit, beating expectations on higher revenue and shrinking loan loss provisions. The CEO Giuseppe Castagna will join Street Signs later on this morning. So a very warm welcome, everybody, and lovely to have uh, Karen back on board for the day. Thanks uh, for joining us, Karen. Let's get into some of these stories then. Peloton has slashed its financial outlook for the full year. After reporting a bigger-than-expected quarterly loss, the fitness brand known for its signature stationary bikes also shifted gears, announcing the departure of longtime CEO John Foley and nearly 3,000 job cuts, shares of the high end fitness equipment maker have seen an incredible swing lower since it uh, became a stay-at-home play in the pandemic. And of course, it's been plagued by a series of problems, including a viral backlash to some of its ads, product recalls and production cuts. And since we have an opportunity at the beginning of the show, before we get into the flood of earnings that we're going to see from European corporates, maybe we could just spend a a few moments on this one, because um, obviously there are lots of issues here in the past, like the product recalls, the production cuts, the backlash to some of the ads. But quite frankly, the problem is none of those things. As we know, the reality is here The big question is now being asked about the business model. And uh, whilst this company um, has generated strong loyalty, you can see that from the uh, uh, renewal uh, uh, data that um, people that buy the products generally like the products and they stay with the business. The problem is... um, The company has been spending something like 40% of its uh, revenue on products on sales and marketing at a time where we've just come through two years of uh, COVID and people staying at home. And there is a, a serious question, I think, to be asked as to whether actually there is a big, bigger market out there available for the company's existing offering. It would seem that they have hit a point where they have satisfied, really, the total addressable market. So they've got a number of growing pains here, don't they? One is, can they, with their existing product offerings, actually grow 
significantly further or do they need to put other products into the stable and other services they obviously need to migrate away from revenue based on product sales to a subscription type revenue model which they seem to be doing at this stage they've got the problem of the founder ceo we've seen that in the past with companies like WeWork, where the ceo comes in with a vision They then need professional management perhaps to help them through some of the challenges. You could argue that maybe the spend uh, wouldn't have been as high if there were professional managers in place. But there is a lot to like here. Let's be frank about that. As I say, it is a product that um, people are very loyal to. Once they have it, it seems to have found uh, a niche market and people like the, uh, the, the, the way in which the bikes mesh with the online encouragement and obviously the the new CEO comes with uh, decent um, uh, pedigree. Uh, Barry McCarthy, former Netflix and Spotify CFO, uh, he should know something about trying to get to grips with um, uh, our digital businesses and and helping them turn around. I think just to wrap up my my final comment on this would be um, it is I think a business that has a future, either as a standalone or as a company inside Nike or another digital type business, but it's not a $45 billion company, not in its present shape. And I think there are still questions being asked in spite of the share price rise that we saw overnight. Is it a $12 billion company based on the existing model, Steve? Right, okay, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, Norwegian energy major Equinor, which has posted record pre-tax profits for the fourth quarter, driven by a boom in oil and gas prices, and said it will raise its dividend and increase share buybacks. Uh, excellent to speak to Anders Oppedal, who is the CEO of Equinor. Well, Anders, just like with Bernard Looney, uh, who I was speaking to yesterday, these are bumper numbers. Congratulations on that. You are delivering on the back of the higher energy prices. Do you believe these kind of profits are set to continue? Good morning, sir. Uh, good morning to you. Yes, uh, uh, we have record earnings uh, this uh, quarter. Uh, to you know, there is really about the oil and gas prices going forward as well. Uh, but we have been able in the fourth quarter of 2021 to capture the prices by strong operational performance, and that is what we can focus on. And we will focus on that in the next quarters as well. And uh, the outlook for the oil and gas prices, they look uh, very good due to limited supply and uh, a supply crunch going forward. But, uh, you know, there's nothing I can do with oil and gas prices. I focus on making sure that we have strong operational performance. Fascinating conundrum that you and all the other uh, majors, um, CEOs are in at the moment as well, is what to do with your money. And I've got to be honest, Anders, surely your shareholders, including the majority shareholder of the state of Norway, would prefer you to spend your money on the transition rather than buybacks. Buybacks on a, on a company's shares who have rallied extraordinarily off your lows of 2020, Anders. Yeah, and we are actually also we are investing in a very profitable portfolio. Uh, we have a uh, 3% annual growth in our oil and gas production based on our project portfolio in, in, in the oil and gas, uh, particularly with major projects coming both in our Norwegian business, our international business. We are investing in the renewables. We are investing in Dogabak, the world biggest floating offshore wind uh, park. We are investing in US in offshore wind in Poland. So we have a very good project portfolio and, and our CapEx uh, 
for the, the next year is around 10 billion US dollar. In addition to the investments, we are also uh, handing back uh, some cash to our uh, uh, shareholders to ensure that we can continue investing in the energy transition. Anders, can I just pick up on that point? Because uh, you're talking about getting to more than 50% of gross investments in renewables and low carbon uh, solutions by 2030. What does that mean in a market where we have seen some inflated pricing and then a reset on the back of the market route? And of course, a lot of companies try to uh, stampede in that direction. What do you make of market pricing and the ability to scale up in that direction without overpaying for certain assets in the sector? Yeah, you're right. The competition in this market has increased over the last uh, years. We have a value focus and uh, we also have already a lot of these projects in execution. That's why we are uh, uh, focusing on making sure that when we bid for new acreage, we have this uh, same value focus and focus on values over uh, volumes. Because of the good project portfolio we already do have, we can be patient uh, to grow any, any, any further. But we have already, uh, already two-thirds of our uh, announced portfolio for renewables already accessed. So I feel we are in a very good shape, despite the very competitive market we do see. And as I heard that phrase yesterday from Bernard Looney, uh, we are focused on quality not volume, but you know that there is a, a good deal of interest in Europe, specifically at the moment, in getting companies like yours to increase their upstream production because of the high cost of product that we have at the moment. You managed to increase it 6% in 2021, but you're only projecting a 2% rise in 2022. Is that because you're focused on cash discipline or is it because you just cannot squeeze more product out of existing facilities? Well, regarding existing facilities, we increased the gas production uh, 16.5% uh, in the fourth quarter of 21 compared to fourth quarter and uh, 2020. So we are at, uh, at the high speed on, on all the gas. Uh, we see that we have a, a project portfolio in front of us uh, for, for oil and gas, uh, that we are delivering 10 projects actually in 2022, and this will increase the, the oil and gas production in, in our portfolio. So we will continue to invest and have stable investments uh, into oil and gas, as, as well as we are, while we are ramping up also into uh, the, re the, the renewables. Mm. And just to come back to Steve's point, because it does seem to be the question of the moment, how do you negotiate the politics of um, increased demands for windfall taxes and higher taxation uh, in Norway? Well, the, the, ta the taxation system in oil and gas is, uh, is, is, uh, was uh, changed a little bit in 2020 to enable us to continue our in, uh, investments. And then now also the government has proposed uh, a change in the tax system, but that is very in line with the previous one. It's stable. We have stable frameworks for taxes uh, in, uh, in, in Norway. It's, uh, it's high, but it's predictable. Does, I, I don't want to get you in trouble politically, but does Europe need Nord Stream 2? Does Europe need more Russian gas? Can we find it elsewhere? Well, uh, Nord Stream 2 is uh, finished and uh, when it will start and so on is, is really a political discussion. 
what is the, the truth is that there are uh, difficulties in supplying enough gas into Europe. This is due to low inventories. This is due to that a lot of flexibility that used to be in Europe before, but with Groning and in other fields, are not, not there anymore. And Europe rely on pipe gas from Norway, from Russia, and substantial LNG uh, into Europe. And for the LNG, uh, Europe will have to compete on the world uh, market. So to, uh, to be able to have more uh, inventories and have more uh, gas into the, the storage, you know, more gas needs to come into to Europe. Sorry, Anders, are you saying that these are self-inflicted problems we're seeing in the European gas wholesale markets at the moment because we haven't invested in infrastructure, we haven't invested in storage as well? This is a self-inflicted problem, is it? Well, we have seen this trend for a while where the kind of the flexibility that used to be in the gas system in Europe is less uh, now. And uh, more of uh, Europe's gas uh, need will, uh, demand will need to come from outside Europe. Uh, we'll leave it there. We'll have that conversation on another occasion, Anders. I think there's, there's further to go and you've got more to say. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, and congratulations on the numbers. Anders Opadal, who is the CEO of Equinor. Well, we're going to stay with the energy theme because we're going to have more on Siemens Energy's uh, latest results. CEO Christian Bruch says a profit warning at Siemens Gamesa is a setback. Uh, we'll speak to him coming up next. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Right. Siemens Energy CEO Christian Bruch says a profit warning at sister company Siemens Gamesa is a setback. The energy company cited the ongoing issues at Gamesa as it reported a first quarter uh, of 240 million euros. That's a loss of 240 million euros. Um, Christian Brook, CEO of Siemens Energy and founding member of the CNBC ESG Council joins us now. Christian, uh, apologies for going there straight away, but what on earth is going wrong at Gamesa? Shares which were 34 euros a year ago, now trading 16. Profit warnings as well. It shouldn't be like this in wind turbine turbines, many people are thinking. Yeah, good morning. No, uh, as you already said, I mean, it was a setback for us uh, with another profit warning at Siemens Gamesa. But as you know, the, the industry uh, also across the board has external factors which are really posing challenges in terms of material uh, inflation, logistic cost, and uh, really going through a tough time at the moment. Uh, at the same time, I always said we have also internal issues which we need to resolve with the introduction of the new products. The pity is really, I think that is uh, what obviously is a little bit of disappointment also for me. It overshadows really all the good progress what is made elsewhere in the GP part of the business as well as in Siemens Gamesa Renewable Energy because offshore and service is running superb and they're doing really an excellent job. And we have obviously an onshore business uh, in wind challenges which we have not there where I would like them to be. And in this regard, yes, it has been a disappointment, but I also would say, I mean, I see progress, but not fast enough. We've talked a lot about the exciting areas of hydrogen uh, many times and elsewhere, Christian, but I just want to focus on this one area for one moment. 
if I may, uh, about Gamesa as well. The external factors which you cite, which have caused this rather large loss and the precipitous decline in the share price where you own 67% of as well. I think you're saying here today that they are set to continue throughout 2022, uh, constraints to persist there as well. Is the global inflationary environment destroying the rationale of for investing in one of the key areas of renewable energy? I mean, first of all, I do believe, and I always said it before, that uh, the material constraints or the supply chain constraints are, will be with us within 22 and uh, is something which we need to very, very carefully manage. That said, I think uh, we're also seeing this reflected now in the industry discussions. You have seen also with Siemens Gamesa that the average selling price goes up. Uh, for me, it does not fundamentally change the logic of renewables. I mean, it's a little bit a different uh, argumentation line. We will have to add renewables across solar and wind really in an immense amount uh, going forward. And in this regard, I think the market mechanics as such are intact. But it is a very material intensive industry. Um, uh, you know, renewables need roughly, if you look to wind, roughly 10 times the material compared to conventional technologies. They are much more vulnerable then, obviously, to material price increases. And this is why the supply chain elements need to be managed by the industry. And it will have an impact uh, going forward on how the market works. But it doesn't take away the need for renewables and with this also the need for wind power. Christian, it's Karen jumping in. There is a lot of market uh, chatter about the remaining stake that you don't own, the 33%, and whether you'll move to acquire this with stock rather than cash. Can you just comment on the dynamics at play here and whether full ownership and using uh, a stock rather than cash would be the right option so you don't have to go back to the market to raise capital? Look, this has been over and over discussed, and I absolutely understand that uh, discussion like at the moment and also... Um, uh, an announcement uh, triggers the speculation once again. But uh, I think all of this has been really said. For me at the moment, the first priority is really to make sure that we solve the operational problems. Um, and this is why we also try as Siemens Energy to strengthen the teams and the, the knowledge as much as possible around it. Um, and uh, this is my first and foremost priority, stabilize the operational business and get the pre predictability of the results up. Christian, thanks for touching on that. Let me just turn to the supply chain issues because this is the first line in your release today. It's front and centre. We keep hearing that supply, and supply chain issues are improving in some parks. What are you seeing? Is there any improvement uh, into uh, this year versus what you had at the end of last year on the supply chain logistics problems? Well, I think one thing which is uh, definitely um, what I'm seeing is obviously the focus of the organization is, is much higher really on supply chain management. It remains a constraint and it's also changing what type of elements in the supply chain are, need to be managed. Uh, it sometimes can be very simple parts, right, where you normally you would not have bothered about the supply chain at all, which get delayed and then impact the fabrication uh, because a certain part is missing. And uh, I do expect, obviously, certain uh, key elements like steel stabilizing now, logistics come a little bit under, better under control towards uh, quarter two, quarter three. Um, but it will, as I said, it will remain with us throughout 22. Um, 
as an, as an item which we really severely need to manage. And I believe supply chain anyway, also from a geopolitical view, going to be something which needs to be a core focus and a core competence of a company like ours. Christian, just on the, I mean, I hate to come back to the 33% the stake, but all of the uh, brokers have said that your company will see a significant re-rating in the eyes of the investment community if you can show that you have greater control over Gamesa. Um, I know you've given Karen a response already, but, but could you comment on the prospect of that re-rating? Um, surely you'd be quite happy to see the market take a different view of your prospects if you were able to secure that stake. Well, I think if you talk about the re-rating, and uh, the more important piece for me is really giving more transparency on the other rest of the company, which I think is still not well enough understood. If you look on the order book, particularly on the last quarter, um, and if you look across the, the different business areas what we have outside wind, it shows that they are superb set up really to benefit from the energy transition. And this is why going forward, we want to give more transparency on the different businesses which are also on, beside wind, also inside Siemens Energy. And we will disclose more numbers, more details, more transparency on the Capital Market Day in May to make sure that people understood how is our company connected with energy transformation and how are the market drivers connected to the growth of our business in transmission, in uh, gas generation, in industrial applications, driving efficiency. And I think this will be much more vital um, to really get to a re-rating discussion for overall Siemens Energy. And, and can I ask you um, just a, a broader question here? Um, obviously, Europe is undergoing an astonishing hike in energy prices at the moment. Uh, and that has encouraged many to argue that maybe renewable is not the right solution at the moment, that we are trying to run too fast with technology that hasn't demonstrated that it can work in all weather environments. Um, how would you respond to that? Well, I, I always had a struggle, you know, with people who believing this is, there's only one option or one silver bullet solving the problem. Energy supply is complex and you will need complex solutions and you will need options. And this is why we always also said you will need for an interim period, quite substantial period, you will need natural gas as a bridge. You will need to add renewables as much as possible. And I think if you look on the EU taxonomy discussion, also the discussion that some countries also um, will push for nuclear is something what you're going to need in all this equation if you want to go out, for example, out of coal as a CO2 intensive technology. I think we are much too much discussing it uh, really always on there's one solution to it. And don't forget, uh, on top of all the generation, you will need massive additions in infrastructure, transmission grids, storage. So this is an uh, immense uh, program of investment which is required in Europe. Uh, I think people just understanding what it means, the target they're committed to. And I think we as an industry, as, a, as politics, but also as a society, need now to understand that something has to substantially change if you really want to drive energy transformation. And it means we will need all of these different type of technologies to make sure that it happens. 
And for me, it's not so much an either or, but I think we have to be clear, things have to change if we want a different outcome. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.